How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, baby. Ready for another week of podcasting? Mm-hmm. Great. I feel like um, the weeks just sort of blend into each other. Fuck, they sure do, eh? What happened to our free and easy childhood take on being human beings in the springtime, just frolicking, playing hopscotch? Why is it all responsibilities now? Why do we... I, I mean, speak for yourself. I frolicked my ass right up here today on, on my way to the, from the fucking condo. It's a pretty beautiful Beautiful day. day. Walked up here, stopped in the local corner store, watched a couple guys get into a fight outside, bought a chocolate bar. I'm wow. having a fucking great day. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, some choice words thrown around <laughs> outside the outside the office today. Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was quite interesting. That's fun. That's a spring fever. I don't I don't like I don't like violence, and I don't like you know obviously. No. Actually, what am I talking about? I fucking I love watching. UFC. I love violence. Is that violence? That is violence. That is, yeah. That, I mean, that is consent. That's violence with consent. Okay. Yeah. So it's different. But I will say this. I do love a good confrontation. I do love being privy to a really big piece of confrontation out on the streets. Oh, not me at all. What do you get from that? I don't know. It's it's like the same kind of, it's, it's probably the same fucking reason why I, I mean, if you looked at my Instagram, like 90% of what I follow on Instagram, it's like, you know, just, just either fails. like, yeah, fails, people like skates, people on skateboards getting hurt really bad or like drunk people just like totally making a fool of themselves. And there's something about it that I just like, I love, I love, I love it. And then when, and then when there's like two people on the street, just screaming words at each other. I don't know. I love it. I, I do. I really. Give me back my jacket. Yeah. Yeah. That's that kind that. of stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't like that at all. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I don't like tension at all between people. I, I just take it in immediately. Like if I'm in a room yeah. and people are tense and talking to each other in a tense way, it, I feel it in my spine. It's like my spine is freezing. Yeah. It's different when it's people, you know, then it's like, well, this is too close to home. Right. But when it's absolute, like when it's, when I see a road rage incident and I'm not in it. I've always feel like someone's going to die and I don't want to see that. I don't, no, I don't want to ever see that. That's a line that once that line's crossed, I'm going to be bummed out. But, but aren't you just sitting there in, in anticipation knowing that like, no. this is how those things happen. This no. is how things escalate to that it, point. It's possible, mm-hmm. but no, that's not, I'm not going to just sit there and go, oh, I'm assuming that this person's going to get out of their car and, and then the other person's going to you know, beat them with a tire iron to death. Like, I'm not assuming that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the... Humanity? Yeah, yeah, you know? And, like, and, then, and then thinking about, like, thinking about how... <laughs> this is for me. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that. Maybe I should talk to a therapist about this. But just, <laughs> just thinking about, like, now their heart rates are up and, like, they're going to be thinking about that all fucking day. Like... See, I uh, I don't know why I just really enjoy the thought of it. Like seeing people get into altercations at a at like a at a cash at a at a cash at a cash register. Okay, like on the other side of it. Right. You know, someone being like like someone telling someone to hurry up, and the other one like mind your own fucking business, like that shit. Yeah. Oh. Well, there is get something. the popcorn out. Like <laughs> fuck, man, I love it. There's I something. It. There is something truly like human about that because there's so many times you think those things. Like, oh my god, if this person in front of me yeah. just hurried, or if yeah. I said how I felt right now, what would happen? Yeah, and then you get to actually see it play out sometimes. And like the like, altercation oh, I had with that person in the parking lot yeah. uh, back on PEI after my my dad died and and she yes. me off in traffic. Like <laughs> if I was witness to that yeah. and I didn't know you yeah. and and obviously didn't know her. Yeah. I would have been like that was wild. Like that was amazing, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, I do. I yeah, it's it's like it's just a form of entertainment, I guess. As long as no one gets hurt, you know. Egos will probably get hurt. Pride will get hurt for sure. But like if no one physically gets hurt, I don't like I don't like drunk altercations. Like I don't like that. Mm. You know, like people screaming outside of a bar and stuff like that. Those type that kind of altercation. I don't like I like altercations that are taking place in the middle of the day 
on a sunny day <laughs> outside of a corner store with like 20 people in ears range who all kind of can turn their heads and hear it and go, ugh. And then you all connect. Yeah. And then we look at each other and we go, did you see that shit? That was (laughs) fucking wild. Yeah. It's a great way to like make friends. (laughs) How many friends, how many long-term friends have you, have you made as a result of an altercation? You know, I'd actually probably have to think about it. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know. I feel like those kinds of friendships happen at bars sometimes, you know, you're just like, you get, you take, you take sides and then you're like, yeah, you're totally right. That person should go fuck themselves. And then you have a new best friend because you're. Yeah, the bar altercations I never, I never liked. Like even seeing someone get kicked out of a bar, I'm always like, oh, oh man, oh man. Like mostly because I just that's that's a that's an environment. Where shit that's a, that's an environment where shit can get real real quick, and it, it's like it it just goes bad real easy real quick. When I was 18, Taylor's in the corner just just looking at yeah yeah that's how you get stabbed. Yeah. Um, when I was 18, I moved to England mm-hmm. with my boyfriend at the time. And we got, we each got jobs in bars and cause we were, we were too young to work in bars in Canada, but we could get bar jobs in England. Mm-hmm. And so I got my first bartending job and, um, I remember, I can't remember what the pub was called, but it was in Victoria. And there was one night where we had, we were screening like a football game and mm. there were a bunch of regulars that came to my bar but this particular night there were a bunch of people that young guys that i did not recognize Uh and uh they were cheering for the opposite team as the regulars were and the regulars didn't start shit but at one point one of these young hoodlums stood up and threw a full like pint glass full of beer at at one of the other patrons and it was just like it, it it triggered like a a throwing and a jumping to action yeah. and like a tackling no, and yeah. I think I pr- I don't really remember but I think I probably just ducked and hid behind the bar because I was like I, like I have no experience with this oh yeah whatsoever. And oh and in a situation like that like you you uh, you could be uh, caught in crossfire so easy so easily yeah. yeah and then of course it just ends because they they run you know they yeah, run yeah, out yeah that's the end of that yeah I don't like that I like uh, I like just you know. People in the neighborhood screaming at each other. <laughs> I was at my sister's place yesterday um, or a couple of days ago, and right. I'm doing some um, work for her. I'm helping her organize her kitchen. And um, the conversation that was taking place between her and her husband about different things that we were doing mm. felt so tense to me that I, 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 like, I haven't wanted out of a room more yeah. in such a long time. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that shit, I don't like that. It's like, you know, when your parents fought when you were young, like, dude, it's just, ugh. What was your role? Because my role in that situation, and I felt it the other day at my sister's place, and I have felt it in numerous occasions with when I'm present for other partners, um, sort of uncomfortable conversations, is to try to walk the middle road and like be like, yeah, I can totally see why, you know, mm. that would come across. And I try to like, just try to lighten it and like, mm-hmm. just try to like smooth things over. And it's fucking exhausting. Yeah. And you know, what's really funny is I bet both of them saw that happening and it was like, kind of like that can go one of two ways. It'll either be looked at as like, oh, she is clearly, it's okay. clear that we are at odds, providing a space that is uncomfortable <laughs> for her. And then like, it just kind of like jacks up the like, 
already annoyed at each other and now annoyed that they're even that you're even doing this it's yeah. not helpful no. it's not helpful at all but it is my coping mechanism for for, for childhood well that was a great 10 minutes of talking about uh, conflict <laughs> um uh there i have one thing that i wanted to bring to the table today um taylor sent this my way um a couple of not too long ago. Um, and I just found it to be really interesting. Um, so this is, I, I think this is like a little bit of context here. This is like coming from some sort of like financial news. Um, uh, that, you know, it's like Taylor's like morning financial read. And he, he sent this to me and was like, Hey, I think this is like some good term on content, but, um, <clears throat> I just want to get your thoughts on this, Brady. Cause I, I, I find this to be pretty, uh, I don't know. Like when I read it, I was like, wow, that's wow, what a fucking what a great idea. Um, so it says Match Group, MTCH, the parent comp- company of Tinder, Match, OkCupid, and other dating services, has made a seven figure investment into a nonprofit called Garbo, enabling the latter to accelerate a national expansion. The background check platform, so Garbo, is a background check platform, allows users to view criminal records, court actions, and public information of prospective dates using only their name or mobile number. Match hopes to integrate Garbo's background check technology into Tinder later this year, followed by its other U.S. dating apps. Garber was founded in 2018 by Catherine Cosmides, 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 a, quote, survivor of gender-based violence, unquote, who wanted to make it easier to find information about people uh, users may meet online. The platform aggregates numerous data sources to provide details on individual, individual including arrests, uh, convictions, restraining orders, harassment, and other violent crimes. The service also performs what is called an equitable background check, which means it excludes drug possession charges from its results, as well as traffic tickets. Quote, this is an industry first, unquote, said Tracy Breeden, head of safety and social advocacy for Match Group. Quote, for far too long, women and marginalized groups in all corners of the world have faced many barriers to resources and safety. We recognize corporations can play a key role in helping remove those barriers with technology and true collaboration rooted in action, unquote. The news may also take aim at Bumble, which requires women to reach out first to hetero dating situations. Bottom line, um, the move by Match is part of a broader effort to rethink safety across its services. Late last year, Match hired Breeden as its first head of safety and partnered with the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network to audit the company's assault prevention systems. In early 2020, the company also invested in Nightlight to help it power new safety features inside Tinder and include a new date check-in feature and photo verification. Oh, interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. A date check-in, like you rate your review, you, like you give a rating to your date? I don't know what that means, the, the new date check-in feature. I mean, maybe that's like a... a like, I'm here, I'm on this date with this person? Yeah. Some, I, Safety I mean, feature? That I, makes that's sense. What I'm, that's what I'm kind of, kind of assuming that means. I can look that up, but um, 
the verification thing is like, you know, I, I took part in that where it was like, you send like a photo of yourself and like, you know, some stats on who like it, it basically verifies like, Oh, you are a fucking, you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. You are a real human. You're not some like catfish like, kind of, yeah. um, date check in. Well, here. I, I like, I like that criminal record check. Mm. Um, I, that's a really, that's, I mean, it's so, sorry to say that's, obviously very real danger of using dating apps. Um, yeah. But that makes a ton of sense to me, um, especially because in, like, I've been listening to a lot of true crime lately, like I said, and one of the things that I keep hearing is, like, you know, people who have committed gender-based violence, well, well they'll go on, they go on and they have other partners. And it's like yeah. there's no... There's no like alert or network unless like somebody knows mm-hmm. that you that about your 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 new partner mm-hmm. that you know that they have been involved in that before. Yeah, so, yeah. That's a really interesting. I guess that you wouldn't unless you have a you've been charged and you have a criminal record for it. It wouldn't show up, but yeah, that that seems very important. It seems important. Seems like it makes a lot of sense. Seems like a good a good call. But also, I'm sure there's somebody out there who like who probably would speak to like the other side of that as to why it's not okay. Um, I don't know what that, what that like, yeah. Uh, what that side would be. But like, if, if anyone hears that and they're thinking and, and has an idea as like, as to why that might not be okay. Right. Definitely uh, send us an email, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Cause uh, I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, and by your thoughts, I mean, you, the listener. I mean, there's obviously, there's probably something in there about, you know, how in terms of criminal records, you know, we, the pro- the prosecution of, of and charge of, of people mm. of color, mm-hmm. let's say, for mm-hmm. example, could be highly out of, um, out of like touch with, with, with what the actual balance of numbers mm. are, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of what happens in the court systems yeah i I think it's i think it's good that they have that like equitable background check so it's like it 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 doesn't take into place in in the consideration like drug charges yeah right um you know i think that's probably like a good step in the right direction yeah yeah interesting eh? that's really uh, really interesting so it's fun to watch the evolution of dating apps it's because it's it's just such a it's not going anywhere no fuck no no absolutely not it's uh more and more important all the time i guess um well that's cool thanks for sharing that i'm curious to hear what 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 brings us along um i've like i haven't been on a dating app in so long that i don't even know what the what the landscape is right now but um i don't want to fall out of touch yeah i kind of want to have a a sense of what's going on there yeah um so cool well i have a couple of things as well um first of all all of what i'm about to say is relevant to the conversation that we're going to throw to today. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we had the chance to speak with Laura Zam, who is a playwright, writer, um, author. And Laura has a book that is uh, either just came out or is just coming out um, called The Pleasure Plan. And it is a kind of like a, 
um, a sort of memoir-esque. Not, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what, what the difference between like an autobiography or a memoir or like just a true story about yourself is, but um, it basically, she in it, she de- she she starts off with, with like, hi, I'm 43. Um, I've just met like the man of my dreams where, you know, I really want to have this it's first like real relationship, the first love that I've ever had. And I really want to have like the fullest expression mm-hmm. of that. And so what that brought her to confront was that this like lifetime of sexual dysfunction that Mm. she's experienced. And um, so from beginning to end, this book is very funny. It's very candid, Mm -hmm. like goes into a lot of description, both of both of like what's going on with her body, what's going on in her mind and in her relationship. (laughs) Taylor's dogs on my lap. You're just just about to eat the microphone. Get the mic out of your mouth, buddy. He's so cute. You can see if you want to see him. You can go to patreon.com slash Jeremy on. We are filming all of our foreplay segments so you can see Loki right up here on my lap sniffing my face. I like just looking over the camera and imagining our patrons looking back yeah. at us. Um, okay, so uh, so yes, yeah, so this book's super funny. So very personal, very candid. Talks about her body, her mental health, her mm. her relationship health, but also goes into detail with a lot of the different therapists and like approaches that she's taken to right. try to resolve these issues that she has to become sexually enlightened. Yeah, exactly. Right. And she, the whole thing, it comes together in this really neat way where as a theater artist, she's sort of commissioned to write a piece about it, like a one woman show about figuring all of this out. Mm. Um, And spoiler alert, she doesn't figure it out for the show. That goes well beyond the end of the theater piece per being produced, being put out there. Mm. There's still ve- lots more work that she has to do. Um, and so I read this in like two sittings. I thought it was so, it's so funny. She's really, really funny. And you'll hear um, in the conversation how sort of light spirited and like playful she, she is. She was a lovely guest. Yeah. I was, yeah. I had such a fucking ball talking to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, good setup there, yeah. uh, which we will be getting into that conversation. So before we do, I just wanted to break down a few things that we talk about in the episode that we've touched on before in the podcast, but we've never like, we haven't dug into it in any sort of way, but we referenced the DSM, um, <clears throat> which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Mm-hmm. And um, that so comes... where you'd find things like, uh, basically like the the most current definition slash um, uh, sort of breakdown of mental illness. So you would find things like schizophrenia in there or depress- depression or um, anxiety disorders and basically mm-hmm. like the ins and outs of what we know and how to manage or treat or or deal with those certain things mm-hmm. in the DSM. And it's formulated by mm-hmm. the American Psychiatric Association, but it is mm. used pretty broadly um, in North America and in Europe. Um, and it's important because this is the shared language that um, psychiatrists use yeah. to be able to um, diagnose things and also so that their clients can receive um, treatment. So, you know, if you have been diagnosed with something that's in the DSM, then you, you know, your health coverage is more likely to cover 
you know, sex therapy, let's say, if you have a sexual dysfunction that's listed in the DSM. So that's super important. But it's also important to recognize that it, you know, it's uh, a document that has been revised a number of times. The last revision of like the most current um, volume was in 2013. I think it's number five. Number five. And, uh, and like anything, it's been subject to lots of criticism um, for, for, you know, being too narrow, et cetera. So the language wasn't homosexuality in the DSM at some point. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, as, as society evolves, so does the DSM. And also as, as a society, as we, as, as the research evolves, so does the DSM. So, you know, again, like we talk about this on Safeway so much, but like the, when it comes to like physical health and treating physical health and diagnosing physical health, fuck, we're we're like, we're doing pretty incredible things and we're pretty far in, you know, like we're living in the future of that right now. Um, But when it comes to mental disorders or mental illness, there's still so much work to be done and so much understanding to be had. And, um, and so as, as we progress Mm. on that path, the DSM also progresses with it. So. Yeah. But like each writing of a volume takes about 10 years. So it's like, even oh, though, fuck, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, that That's at least, wild. yeah. Yeah. At least this latest one was, but right. it, it had, this is it, it. I think it came out. The first one was published, I believe in 1918 is what I read. Okay. Um, and so it's been revised five times. Right. Right. Then. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, hmm. So in, in the conversation we had with Laura, she she mentioned that some of the sexual dysfunction that she was experiencing was listed in the DSM. She said she had all of it, everything that was there. And Jeremy and I were saying, well, we didn't really even kind of, hadn't kind of occurred to us that there were sexual dysfunctions in there. I don't even think I knew. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. Like, I, I, I yeah, no, I don't think I actually recalled ever knowing that there was like sexual dysfunction in there. Because like paraphilias we knew were in there. When we talked yeah. to James Cantor, we... Yeah. Like we knew that stuff was in there. None of that's listed as sexual dysfunction, by the right, way. Sure. Um, but I'm going to give you the categories of sexual dysfunction that are in yeah, there. Yeah, please do. Okay. So, um, for any of these to be considered uh, a, a dysfunction, they 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 qualify it by saying it's pers- it's persistent and has been persistent for a minimum of six months. Okay. Um, and that it's causing distress to the person who's having it. Of course. So if it doesn't, then it's maybe not not that big of a deal for you. Okay, so delayed ejaculation. Okay. Delayed ejaculation is uh, is like not reaching ejaculation, even though there's sufficient. Um, Got boners. You can you can ride all night, but you're just not going to become. Not going to come, and that can be obviously. Uh, very frustrating. That would be pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm. I have Especially a friend. I have a friend. To... I have. I have a friend who I think has that, huh. but he doesn't mind. Okay. Fuck, I just not, I'm not talking about you, Taylor. <laughs> um, just get a little side eye there. Yeah. Um, okay. So delayed ejaculation. Oh, okay. Can you pl- plug my laptop in for real though? I would say I would assume that's primarily a, like a penis owner's. Um, issue because there there is why uh, why not uh, why not a, a vagina owner well because because it seems like 
the the language in the DSM is still pretty um, gendered. Right. So right. they they like later they the, just full on full on come out and say like men who cannot come. Yeah. Even right. though Even they though, are providing they're they're getting lots of stimulation from the right. vagina. Essentially, is what they say. Man, although you know, I gotta say, I feel like there's some. I feel like there's some vagina owners or some ladies out there who would go, oh, yeah, but like, I would. I could also feel that I could also be getting just the right fucking buttons touched and just the right stimulation, and not be able to come. And why can't I also? Well, they get their own title. Oh, okay, oh. and that's female orgasmic disorder. Okay. All right. All right. Sure. So a little different. A little different. Yeah, I guess. So. But basically the same thing. It's, it's less like about the ejaculation and more about the, the climax. Climax. Yeah. Right. Oh, I guess because ejaculation really has to do with like shooting liquid. I guess so. Ejaculate. Yeah. I don't right. think like if you want to squirt, but you don't know how to squirt, that that would be an ejaculation right. disorder. Right. But I, I don't know. Um. So then we have erectile disorder, which. We probably all ED. know is the co- most common, common one. Yeah, but then there's there's two different types. There's the there's psychological and and physical. Right, and so <clears throat> so here, what I'm guessing in here is the psychological. Well, right? yeah, to get one of these diagnoses, they they have to rule out any underlying other disorders like depression yeah. or like some yeah. other sort of psychiatric um, issue. I know that I know that with ED, that if you are getting morning wood. That is a, that's basically like a sign to your physician or whoever, you know, whoever that you're talking to that, okay, well, you don't, you actually, you don't have physical ED. You have psychological ED. Oh, interesting. You have the, you have the ability to get an erection because your body's functioning naturally. You will get, you will get a, you, if you have a penis, typically you will get a boner in the morning. Because that is a that's a part of the sleep cycle. It's a part of the way your body processes the the you know the the, the process of sleep, hmm. and so it's that's why a lot of people with dicks wake up in the morning and are coming down from or in, are in the middle of a, like a raging hard on. Mm-hmm. If you have that, but you can't get hard during intimacy or intercourse or whatever, that's a sign that you have psychological based ED yet you don't suffer from physical-based ED. Interesting. If okay. you're not getting morning wood and you also can't get hard, then there's probably a chance that you have physical ED, and that's... Different. Arguably, I would say that's probably a, probably worse. In terms of treatment? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, well, that's totally subjective, but, like, I, I, was, I would say, like, I, I, I think if it was, if it was me and, and I had to get, to, I got to choose... Right. I would way rather have the psychological than the the physical because I feel like with the physical it's like you you know, with the with the psychological at least you could at least you have like a um, I feel like you can kind of take control right with the right going the right direction and like with the right mindset and the right like sort of you know mental exercises or however you want to talk about it, but with the physical it's like maybe you know yeah. If you just don't got blood flow down there, like what the, f- what, how the fuck do you get that treated? You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just know how troublesome any sort of mentally, uh, <clears throat> like any illness that's, that's caused, that's exacerbated by stress. Yeah. Is like, sure. 
I I have all the tools for like meditation and yeah. and mindfulness, but like fucking flexing push, those. Yeah, when push comes to shove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So um, then we have female sexual interest slash arousal disorder. Just to say. So that is, um, you know, basically the 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 person has a la- lack of um, erotic thoughts, um, doesn't masturbate, like it isn't inclined, doesn't feel sexually attracted, uh, doesn't think about sex. Um, it's just, just like it's a real, mm. uh, doesn't get pleasure from sex when they're having it. Um, there's yeah. just no spark plug. There's no, yeah, there's no sparks Get that engine going. going. Right. Um, then we have genito, genito, pelvic pain penetration disorder. Hmm. So, okay. So this is sort of like a... Um, Umbrella term? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And this is where things like vaginismus, which we've talked about on the show, would mm-hmm. fall under, which is um like a... a, a spasm of the muscle that doesn't allow penetration whether it's tampons or fingers or mm-hmm. whatever um there's vestibulitis mm-hmm. which i hadn't heard about until reading this book uh which is a stinging or burning pain um we did a sick boy episode about vesti- ves- vestibulitis vestibulitis said stinging or burning after or during mm-hmm. intercourse um and Dis, how do you sp- pronounce it? Disparunia? Disparunia? It has a lot of vowels in it. Um, pain in the pelvic area during or after, which also is very mm. generalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those weren't actually named in the DSM. Like vaginismus, vestibulitis, those aren't mentioned there. But when Laura said that everything she experienced was in the DSM, I, I don't know, maybe she right. found it in there. Right. Um, so that's a lot. She said she's got a lot of a lot of pain going on there, and right. then it exacerbates as well um, after menopause. Of course, when there's like a natural drying of the mm. tissues, like mm-hmm. those those problems can be uh, increased. Hy- male hypoactive sexual desire disorder. You just want you just want fuck all the time. No, the opposite. You just don't ever want to fuck never. Yeah, that's the sexual interest arousal. That's hypoactive. Hyperactive would be the opposite. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. not listed here. Interestingly enough, hyper. Um, premature ejaculation. Yep, I know all about that. <laughs> I've done that a few times in my life. <laughs> oh God! And you know what's uh, interesting? It's so funny. Like it's it is it's so it's so fucking funny to think about the the like evolution of the psychology of of like of sex. Like it, like when you think about your own personal history of it, like. I've had, I've had plenty of times where I I don't, I mean, I don't think it's like, I don't think it would really qualify as premature ejaculation because I think that's like, has to be under a minute. Yeah. That's like really, really, really quick. But like there have been so many times in my life where I'm like, can't hold that. Like, (laughs) I'm going to blow. And then, you know, and then it comes out too quick and I get all like in my head and fucking frustrated about it. But then the more I get in my head about it, the more, the worse it gets. Right. And the more, and, but I haven't had that. I haven't had that problem in in a long time now. And in 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 now, I'm starting to like. It's almost the pendulum has swung a little bit too far the other end sometimes. Okay. Yeah, where I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, 
You're almost done. Come on. Like, get, <laughs> yeah. how do I, how do I get it out of me? You know? Yeah. Um, but fuck, it's, yeah, just so funny to think about that. Uh, not too long ago, I was just swearing at my dick going, <laughs> can you just keep it in? See, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like I, when it's going to happen, it's really hard to pull back on the reins. You know what actually what kind of shifted for me was we had a conversation with someone on this podcast whose job who had who led a That's workshop right. on like keeping your cum in. <clears throat> and I was like <laughs> and 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 just from talking to her, I was like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I just just like do that. And then started doing that. And I was like, oh fuck, that works quite well. Huh. Yeah. I forget her I forget her name. I remember her sitting on the floor. I feel like she was sitting on the floor in her room while we were talking. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was like early COVID days. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Then we have substance slash medication induced sexual dysfunction. So like addicted to Viagra? Uh, sure. Like I Coke? imagine. Yeah. So basically. Like needing Coke to. Who's doing, who's fucking doing Coke to get hard? No. Sex. Okay. Substance or medication induced Taylor, sexual I'm not talking about you. <laughs> So this could be anything from alcohol to amphetamines, right. uh, um, opioids, right? Meth. Meth's a big fucker. Meth's a bit. People love fucking on meth. Do they? Yeah. I don't know, but <clears throat> I, I can tell you Benadryl? one thing. I cannot. I I almost never come if I'm drunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so have that. You ever, have you ever had sex on psychedelics? No. Man, Bridie, you gotta try that. <laughs> Okay, I'll put it on the list of adult responsibilities. It, I have. You had sex on on like uh, on uh, other drugs that are I, whatever, like I'm MDMA. Yeah, have you had drugs? Yeah, we we I think after, we've had sex on MDMA. Like right? After not during MDMA. No, not during? Okay. no, not during. Yeah. No, um, and not mushrooms. I don't think. Meh. I got a hard I, I, mushrooms. Is like it's a it's it's hit or miss. Okay. I just cry a lot when I do mushrooms. Yeah, I don't know right, if it's right. a sexy drug for me. Right. Um, but yeah, but also these medications can be prescribed, right? So right. the substances you could be on. Viagra, Cialis, whatever. But also uh, <clears throat> like antidepressants can fuck with your, your... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, steroids can. Anti-epileptics. And a whole host of serotonin reuptake blockers can cause... Uh, decreased sexual desire. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a that's a big underlying cause. Again, that has to be ruled out before you can arrive at any of the other more specific right. uh, disorders. And then you got two categories called other specified sexual dysfunction and unspecified sexual dysfunction. And the only difference between those is whether or not your clinician wants to specify why it's not one of the others but doesn't have like its own diagnosis. And mm. the unspecified is when a clinician, I think just diagnoses you with a, a sexual dysfunction, but doesn't say why it doesn't fit within mm. any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference would be. They just but, can't, it's just like undiagnosable. Yeah. Like we can't quite figure it. This doesn't really fit within any of the above listed parameters, but clearly there's some sort of dysfunction and we can't really label it. So we're just going to put it unspecified. Yeah. Hmm. Man, it's just there's what, no what that would look like. There's nothing DSM. clear about like any of this because how anything in the DSM, dude? Because because like how could you rule out like a little depression or like you know maybe a you know maybe you've bipolar disorder in your family or like mm. and then 
how much does that affect your day-to-day life or does it only affect your sexuality? Like these are all questions that I'm very, very curious to try to find answers to. And I really, I really want to know more about cannabis and sex because I feel like, I feel like I read a lot about smoking. Yeah. But nobody's ever saying cannabis. Everyone's always saying tobacco, but I guess, you know, maybe the studies aren't there or like the science hasn't been processed yet, but I feel like, and I don't want to anger my like cannabis loving friends because I also have loved cannabis for a really long time. But when I'm thinking about my own um, sort of sexual issues that I would like to resolve or like, you know, rise above, Mm -hmm. I do wonder sometimes if, because smoking can change the blood flow to places in your body. Um, you know, also if it induces any kind of anxiety, if, if cannabis mm. smoking induces any like anxiety or paranoia or anything like that, then there's, there's that psychological aspect mm. that might be keeping you from being able to, to relax and, and, and like feel aroused. Um, and like I said, it's been a part of my life for so long that I just don't even know. I was thinking about what, when I started having sex versus when I started smoking weed and they were, um, very close on each other's heels. Right. So I don't know if I've, I've never had much. I think I smoked, I think I started smoking weed before I, I, like pretty before I started fucking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's weird because I, I do find that smoking enhances my, my body awareness. Mm. Like I feel like right. everything. Yeah. But it is also, it also dries my eyes. It dries my mouth. It probably dries everything. So there's reduced moisture yeah. and arousal in that way. Yeah. I want more information. So if, if anybody's listening and is like, I happen to know a thing mm. or two mm-hmm. or someone who does, let me know because we will definitely have them on the podcast. It's something I'd love to chat about. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, before we throw to this uh, to the episode, I have one more thing I want to bring up. Okay. Um, <coughs> I learned a new word from Laura Zam in her book. Nice. Again, it's very funny. Um, I would like to tell you this word, and then you can tell me uh, what you think it means. Okay, I like it. Pedendum. 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 Is it a body part? Mm-hmm. The pedendum? Is it a made-up word from Laura, or is it a real word? It's a real word. It's in the dictionary. And pedendum is a body part. The mm-hmm. pedendum. <clears throat> the pedendum. <laughs> pedendum. Pedendum. Makes me think of perineum, which mm. is the gooch. I'm going to think, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the pedendum is the tissue wall that separates uh, that separates the rectum from the vagina. Interesting. The pedendum. Okay. So uh, pedendum is a noun. It's a person's external genitals, oh. especially a woman's for some reason. Especially a woman's for some reason. Here, let, let me give you the breakdown of this word. Sure. The Latin is from the Latin pudere, to be ashamed. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, pudere, pedendum. Yeah. And it came in, into uh, our vocabulary in the mid-17th century. Pedendum. Yeah. That fuddy-duddy's got her pedendum hanging out. <laughs> Why does it have to be ashamed? I was, I was listening to... Uh, um, Cover up your pedendum, you goddamn fuddy-duddy. <laughs> you a hoe. <clears throat> um, yeah. Of, of other words like 
shame being mm. used to describe genitals. Um, anyway, just such a we didn't start out on a good foot with with that really back 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 in the mid seventeenth century. I think we're still there's still some work to be done. There's definitely some work to be yeah. done. All right, well, uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed that. And again, if you want to watch uh, Brody and I and Loki here, um, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Really, it's the cost of a coffee a month, um, and uh, which is, you know, for five bucks a month, you can watch um, our, our foreplay segments. You're getting four video recordings a month, and basically. our... Undying appreciation because right. this is uh oh and merch like there's fucking merch in there if you if you if you ride or die a little longer there's merch involved um we also just we just left our network so um we're we're riding solo now this is, this bitch is independent <laughs> and uh we really do uh appreciate but also need your support so uh go to patreon.com slash turn me on and we would love we would love for you to join our fun and weird little gang <laughs> Um, and if you want to reach out or you want to have anything, uh, read on the podcast or just a comment, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. I think next week there is a little, uh, sort of not so much a comment brain boner, but a comment that I think we should read on the show okay. that I thought that was quite interesting. Okay. Sounds good. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode with Laura Zam because she is as spectacular as her name. I just think the, the name Laura Zam is just is truly magical. It reminds me of that theater game Zip Zap Zop. <clears throat> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. feel like I feel like uh, I, like walking through New York City, I would get a flyer that is tells me that I need to show up at this bar at a certain time at a certain night to to see the the magnificent Laura Zam. Absolutely. Which I'm sure probably like very well could have been a reality uh, <laughs> at some point pre-COVID. Um, all right. Enjoy this conversation. We'll see you on the other side. Well, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, just talking about my skin. That's all I'm talking about these days. But uh, I finished your book this morning. Oh, really? Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I loved it. I read it in two, I read it this week. I read it in two mornings, probably four or five hours total. I just like devoured it. I I loved it. Oh, thank you so much. That, Mm -hmm. That means a lot to me. I know it's, it's. It's so much we're all doing and keeping up with recording and, and everything. It's not always possible to to read the books of our guests <laughs> cover um, to cover. But so I, I really, really appreciate that. So Bridie, for our listeners, uh, what is the book? And and give us how I mean, we don't typically do this, but give us a little review. I mean, <laughs> what a perfect opportunity right here. The pleasure plan. Mm-hmm. One woman search for sexual healing. Um, I, I, I got, I was so lucky to get a a PDF copy of this book. And I, I, like I was saying, I just absolutely devoured it. And I think I felt 
really, as soon as I realized you were a playwright and an actor, I just felt really sort of drawn mm. to this story because Jeremy and I met in acting school and, oh. mm-hmm, and we were, you know, we're performers and I write a little bit and all of a sudden I was just like, I can, I can totally, I can totally picture your world. You, you describe your, your partner who I just like immediately fell in love with and, you know, I was so glad that you started the book that way. Just like I've, I've met someone that I'm, you know, really in love with. And, and that happened for you, like, you know, relatively speaking a little later late. in life. <laughs> yeah. Late. And, uh, yeah. Say, say more about, about, uh, the sort of the beginning of, of mm. the, the pleasure plan. Yeah. I, so I met my husband when I was 42 and, No, I was 43 at the time. Yeah. And I didn't think that I would ever find love. I I just didn't know what my problem was for decades. I just thought I had very bad luck, romantic luck. Mm. And then I realized when I was around 42, the year before I met my husband, that really my problem was that I needed sexual healing. And I didn't know how to go about that. And I was so uncomfortable with my own yearnings and lack of yearnings for certain people. And I I didn't know how to navigate sensuality, sex, eroticism, myself as as a sensual person. So, yeah, so it took me a very long time. And then I met my husband and was in really the first stable relationship that I had ever been in. And I realized, I realized that I had, and I'm putting, for the listeners, I'm putting quote marks. I realized realized I had every sex problem in the book, literally Mm. in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. I had every single one of these six sex problems. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so when you say, when you said sexual healing earlier, I take it you, you aren't meaning sexual healing in, in the sense of like Marvin Gaye's sexual healing. You, you truly mean healing from past trauma. From trauma, from mm. libido issues, not mm. knowing how to orgasm, arousal issues, being triggered, three different kinds of pelvic pain. Mm. It's a, there was a lot of, things to figure out and each of those individually needed to be healed. When you say like different types of pelvic pain, are you talking like, like vaginismus or like, like, um, uh, uh, what was, what's the other one? Yeah. (laughs) What's the other one? There is, there's (laughs) another one, but but I always, I, I always get lost on the, on the name of it. It's, um, uh, vestibule, Oh, yeah, vestibulitis, fuck. which yes, now yeah, they okay. call vestibulodynia. And vestibulodynia, yeah, that that's too. what I was thinking. Yes, and right, I have right. that one too. Okay, yeah, save some <laughs> for the rest of us. Okay. Um, uh, I, I guess my, my, my question is, do, do, all of these, do all of these issues that, that you were presented with, are, are they all stemming from one, one period in your life? Or is this, is this sort of a... Um, is this sort of the result of, of a collection of experiences over, over time? Yeah, that's such a great question, Jeremy. I think that for the most part, they were all associated with this childhood sexual abuse, which was why I, 
I needed this sexual healing, why I, I had such bad luck, I realized. So they were all associated with that because I, uh, my body was, uh, was freaked out by sex. Mm. And the vaginismus is overly tight and weak pelvic floor muscles, as, as you know. And thank you so much for raising awareness about this issue, which is, has gone too long with people not talking about. Mm. Um, so that is like freak out, uh, like it's freak out 101 because the pelvic floor muscles just go, nope, not interested in this intrusion. Mm. And so that was definitely associated with the trauma, I think, because I had it from the very first time I tried to have sex when I was 17 years old. We, we couldn't do it for eight months. Um, and then the vestibulitis was associated with it, but it was also um, something that I think I might have had a, a bit of a congenital tendency toward. It's overactive nerves mm. in the vestibule, which is the area inside the outer lips, but outside the vagina. It's the area where the urethra is. Um I think I had a little bit of a tendency. Vestibulitis is overactive nerves in that vestibule area primarily, mm. but it also was exacerbated by perimenopause. And I didn't realize that at the time. It took me the whole right. journey of my book to realize that, oh, hormones are also something that's going on here. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> the journey that's in your book is like your persistence is mind blowing because, you know, I, first of all, I didn't know that these just, that these things were in the DSM. I was not aware that that, that, that was included. Um, but you know, through our show, we've gotten to chat with a number of people who <laughs> have experienced like trouble with vaginismus or painful intercourse. And we've discovered, you know, we've discovered that there are like pelvic floor physiotherapists and sex therapists and people who teach you how to have orgasms. And you go through that whole journey in your book, you, you created a list of different sort of specialists or people that could potentially help you along, um, figuring things out. And it, even when, and Jeremy, you haven't read the book, but just for some context, mm -hmm. um, Laura was, was able to, to process a lot of this through some writing for the stage, right? That was sort of the, was that the incentive to begin? Or mm. I, I mean, besides obviously wanting the healing, do you think it would have come along with without that sort of assignment? No, it wouldn't have come along without the assignment. So in my case, it was a one-person play. When I work with clients, I don't recommend that to go on that <laughs> yeah, journey. They yeah. have to create a one-person play. <laughs> mm. But I do recommend some sort of a project because it, for me, it was so overwhelming and also amorphous. It was just like healing was this thing and it was so complicated and I couldn't, I couldn't see the different strands. It was just a ball of like, oh, mm. um, so I needed the play in order to organize my healing and to motivate me because also and this speaks to you, your mission, the mission of this podcast, I didn't feel like pleasure was important. I didn't feel like I was important enough to really fight for this. 
Mm. But the play forced me to say, <clears throat> okay, let's pretend that <laughs> that it's important that I get pleasure. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, I was going through your website over the last couple of days and I, I came, there was a video on your website that uh, you performing in front of an audience and it's, you know, it's very, it's very funny. And, and, and so is this the performance that we are speaking of right now? The, the video that is on your website? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I, I just like, I love, I love hearing from other artists about how they use their art mm. for their own pursuit at, um, you know, developing more of a, uh, an awareness of of self and and like their own their own personal their own personal journey of of like who they are and and what makes them tick um and as an actor uh or as a theater school dropout uh to to see to, to watch a video like that or to see you talk about this i just it it just like it may, it fills me with it fills me with glee but also to know that you know, I think it's really important that you said it, you know, it might not be for everyone to write a play and get on stage and try to explore it this way. But we all, I feel like everyone out there has their own version of that, whatever that might be, whether that's through journaling or through visual art or through, you know, through music or what have you. I, I think, I think that, I think that's one of those things that a lot of people might not might not consider is like how how healing your own passion for art can be whatever that means to you because that is so wholly unique to everyone i think it's really i just think it's really beautiful that that you you took that path it's really exciting yeah because it it allows you to, well first of all I love talking to other people who went <laughs> through acting school because it's such great training. Whatever we wind up doing with it, mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's a special bond I think we have. And they tell you in acting school you can't use your stage time as therapy. This is not your time to write to to process things. This is story it's for the audience mm. to have a, an experience and I know that that's true but at the same time making any kind of art allows people I believe to rise above their present circumstances and to look at it from this 30,000 foot view mm -hmm. to see humor to see absurdity I think it pulls us out of our victimization um, and allows us to see patterns and connect dots. And in my case, even to organize a, a process, to even look at things in a linear fashion. Mm. So it may not be therapy, but I think it is a kind of therapy to whatever degree we want to incorporate our creativity. I think it can be so, so powerful to use it, as you said, it could be journaling, it could be a painting, it could be, it doesn't have to be for public consumption, mm. if that's not somebody's thing. But um, yeah, I think to have that creativity in there is really going to turbocharge whatever that processing is. Mm. Yeah, I, like getting something external, like making something external, because what's the opposite of that, of not of not putting it out, even if it's only for your private, um, in your own private writing is just like, I, 
the experience of holding it in and mm. just only working through it on the inside feels so limiting um, and suffocating and, and suffocating. Yeah. Totally. You know, like you, I, we all need to find our own ways to unbottle these things, you know, Definitely. Like it's so, it's so important. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to know, uh, and, and Brady, maybe you already know the answer to this because you, you read the book so quickly, but I'm curious to know what was the, what was the catalyst to, to doing this sort of deep dive into trying to find the answers as to why you were having such, um, such a hard time expressing yourself sexually? Like, was the catalyst the meeting of your, your now partner? Or, or was, this, was there something that came before that? It really was meeting my partner and, and for the first time having love, having mm. reciprocal love, having a healthy relationship. And I felt like, well, this is my shot. So I met my husband when I was 43, we got married, I was 46, and I began my journey soon afterward. So I'm already pushing 50 at that point. I was going to mm. say 60, but I was 50. <laughs> I was pushing 50 at that point. Now I'm pushing 60. And, you know, I thought, well, this is my shot. I, I didn't have children. I want to know what love is. I want to have a really full-blown love experience just in terms of yeah, being able to kind of soak up all that life has to offer. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I've got, if I have all of these intimacy issues, sex problems, well, that's a big obstacle. And I can't know love to this full extent unless I fix this. So that was definitely the, the, the real impetus. And, but getting started, that's where I, I felt like a, I needed a project mm. to really start on the road, so to speak. Mm. Something how, how, I, I, sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. No, 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 get in there. One of the things that I loved um, was this this idea of this, the sex brunch, which is gathering um, a group of your, your women friends together and saying, well, we're going to talk about this. And it it's like we, Jeremy and I talk about sex all the time because we have this podcast, but, but, when I think about like, who do I really talk about my sexual stuff with? It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. And yet it seems like in your circle, you were kind of the pioneer of that for everyone. Yeah. Um, because the conversation that you sort of, you, you, you put, you have both in your play and in your book is, is a lot of like no answers or explanations for like, sex does hurt sometimes and eventually you just won't have to do it anymore because your partner won't want it anymore. And that sort of like pervasive stereotype or feeling that like, we don't really, we just do it because our partners want it. And, um, to even discuss it amongst ourselves, there's no, there's no answers. So I, I wonder, do you still, do you still conduct sex brunches with your friends? <laughs> Well, I kind of turned them into this online course that I created. I just did a beta version of it in October, November, and I'm going to relaunch it this spring. So I think it's folded in for now into this, this course where I do this group coaching and, and bring these women together and 
give them exercises to do and, and trainings and whatnot. And we talk about sex. And I still find, especially people amongst my age group, and maybe it's a generational thing, but it's, it's a, I find that it's it's not that common amongst my friends now. Occasionally, I'll do just a sex brunch, but more often, if I'm not doing this in my coaching, oh. I'm just bringing this up all the time when I'm having brunch with mm. my friends regularly. You're that you know, somebody now. will yeah. say something. Yeah. They'll say make a loop. They'll make a joke usually, and then I'll 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 pounce upon. And I'll say, well, you know, there are actually four different kinds of hormones, and they'll go, oh, yeah, Lauren, we know. <laughs> I'm like, but you don't know. I have to go on because this really pertains to your vagina. You need to know this. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I love that because. Um, one of the mind blowing facts that that I read at the end of your book, I'm just gonna um, see if I can pull it up here. That I I wanted to read as soon I wanted to read on the this episode because I, I I feel like some of our listeners will will this might be a little mind blowing. But you write according to a study affiliated with the Kinsey Institute, every year seven percent of women past fifty give up on lovemaking. This figure keeps rising until at the age of 70, only 46% of women are still engaging in intercourse and mm. a mere 21% receive oral sex. <clears throat> That's tragic, mm. mm-hmm. it seems, um, because, because it can be such, you know, we, we, like it's in the book, it's in the DSM, like we, it's acknowledged that this is like a mental, this is beneficial for our mental health to have this practice and connection with ourselves and, and people that we love and we feel safe with. And I, you know, just to be totally candid, I, 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 I probably have what I've described for years as a low libido and it's only in probably the last year that I've been like, maybe there's something more to this that I need to investigate. And I was very inspired by, um, your book and, and, uh, would encourage anyone who's sort of like, Hey, maybe I have some things to work out to get it because the work sections, the questions that you outline at the end of your chapters are some really, really great food for thought. And, mm. you know, I, I just, I would like to imagine that it, at 70, I'll be enjoying some of the best sex of my life because I'll know my body better than I, I have ever. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, what I find is, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that because it's it, the more that we talk about it, and this is also the mission behind your podcast, the more we can talk about it, the more we can share resources and and share them, you know, based on knowledge of, okay, well, these things happen functionally, these things happen psychologically, these things happen age-related, all that sort of thing. What I found was that I, I didn't have, like, I didn't have a libido but I found that I could create one from scratch, actually. <laughs> and, and part of that was just, um, was just understanding that, oh, okay, my body's going to move towards something that it finds pleasurable. And if I could figure out what that is, I don't really have to overthink it so much. I can just start to... Um, I can arrange things in a way that um, that entices me. Hmm. 
And I find that libido for women of all ages often is um, what we call low libido often is it's actually two things. On one hand, it's um, it's a kind of boredom. <laughs> um, and hmm. I don't know if on your podcast you've been talking about the bonobos at all. Did you guys talk about the bonobos yet? We, we haven't, but but I am I'm fam- I'm a bit familiar. I, we, I, it's they they're mentioned quite a bit in Sex at Dawn. Yeah. Uh, a book that both Brad and I have read uh, a while back. But yes, go, please go on. Well, okay, so, and so, I think Sex at Dawn did a you know a great job. It, it's a little controversial. I heard in my sex ed community, mm-hmm. but I don't care. Totally. I think yeah. it's just an interesting theory, you know, to to think about. Okay, are we partially wired in this way where we're wired more for reproduction? And uh, and especially the female vulva that that is a it's anatomically put together for um, for this um, you know clitoral stimulation which may or may not be really wowed by intercourse and so it's um, I found that some libido issues are this um, well some of it's like okay. I think that females may need more female bodies, perhaps mm. I should say, may need a little more, um, a little more variety than we're allowed to uh, to claim because the myth is, well, you know, guys, they want uh, every skirt and women, they just want a relationship. When in fact, sexually, it's the opposite. Women tend to get bored after about two years in a long-term relationship. I mean, sexually bored. And it doesn't mean that the relationship has to open up. It just means necessarily some people choose that, but just that women need more stimuli, different kinds of stimuli. Mm. Men may fantasize or you know think about sex perhaps more times during the day, but they tend in relationships to be more sexually satisfied uh, with one partner. Um, so one issue could be, um, you know, different kinds of needing more variety. Um, but the other part I found is that lots of times people are agreeing. It has to do with our consent model. It's agreeing to somebody else's definition of what sex is. So somebody comes at me at 11 o'clock at night and wants to have sex. And if I decline then um, sometimes I'm classifying myself as having low libido. Mm. But when I step back, I say, well, do, do I have low libido? Or I just didn't want the sex that this person presented me with mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock when I was really stressed out mm. after a long day. And that may be no comment on my libido. It may just be a comment on the kind of sex that I am um, allowing myself or um, you know, creating for myself. Mm, mm. This this wow. n- this notion of um, creating a libido from scratch. It, when when you began that that uh, journey, was there was there anything that kind of sh- struck you as surprising? Like, did did anything surprise you in terms of coming to realize that, like, oh? I didn't I didn't even consider that this whatever this might be would be one of the things that would derive pleasure for me. Like it what did you surprise yourself in any ways that way? 
Oh yeah, it was all surprising and really <laughs> scary. Yeah. Really scary to ask for things. So I'll give you a good example. I decided that I don't want to have sex past seven o'clock at night. Okay. I'm an early right. riser yeah. and I get up and it's se exactly seven o'clock every night. I am like, my energy goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the worst time, especially after dinner. It's the worst time to have sex for me, for me. And so I thought, oh, okay. And also cleaning up and dishes, you know, when I'm tired and like, oh, like we're going to do, make a meal and then we're going to like scrub the pots and the pans. Yeah, it's and, fucking exhausting. Yeah, totally. And then I'm going to be aroused after that. I'm like, yeah. no fucking way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if, if you want to have sex with me, husband, bring, come home with some takeout. <laughs> All right, Let's start yeah. getting it on at like 530, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, or like maybe, you know, maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I just I started to reimagine it. And thought, oh, mm. I see. I could I could decide this is, goes back to this thing. It could be on my terms mm -hmm. with compromise, of, of course. I realized I didn't have any voice in the matter. It was just, again, somebody coming at me at night saying, oh, you know, baby, you know, and me going, oh, what? Like, mm -hmm. you want to do that now? <clears throat> I, yeah, the, I, I, I can't help but think about, and, and I, I might be, in setting this up, I might be kind of derailing a little bit, but, I, but, but, I, but, but this is in line with, with, what I what I kind of want to talk about next, which is, um, you know, I, I I know that when 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 dealing with anything that's coming out of the DSM, um, which for people who aren't uh, familiar with, it's like it, the DSM is the the diagnostic um, manual for for mental disorders, and so so a lot of you know a lot of things that you would find in there, um, when when folks are working through those those issues, it can take a whole range of of things to work through, whether that be you know medication or or therapy or what have you. But when it comes to speaking about relationships specifically, if there's someone within a relationship who is dealing with something within the DSM, I would say it's probably safe to say ninety nine point nine percent of the time. What is also required in there is a partner who is also willing to show up and be a really positive support system for that person. Um, how in in this in this journey again of of trying to find your your trying to find who you are as a sexual being so so quote unquote late in your life with this with this you know at the time new partner. How much how much did he play a role in your in your healing journey? Well, it was our healing journey ultimately mm. because mm -hmm. he's the one that I was trying to have sex with. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Of course. But okay, but you know, but I and I don't mean that in a glib way. I just mean that when couples are dealing with something, I, I, they have to take it on as a couple. Yeah. Ultimately, because that is, it's a team effort. 
And all of the solutions are going to involve the partner in some way. Not everybody has a partner who is gung-ho about these sorts of things. And yeah. my husband was not gung-ho in the beginning. He was gung-ho about me healing and, and getting better, but he was not gung-ho about the way I went about my healing, which was to create this one-person place, a very private person. Mm. Putting our sex life on the stage was not appealing to him. He thought it was pathological. He was really dubious of the different people that I was going to see, especially people who are a little far out. But eventually, a couple of things happened. He started to see that I was really healing. I was getting better and I was starting to become enthusiastic about sex. Mm. But also he started to question his own need mm. for sexual healing. And that opened my eyes tremendously, not just to him, but to men and people of all genders who might be dealing with something. And the, de the degree to which sexual healing can be linked to all kinds of things, including just chronic rejection, body shame issues. Mm. Big issue, I think, for men is performance anxiety. It's not talked about enough. The degree to which men uh, can really be not in their bodies when they're making love because of needing to know, wanting to know what am I am I doing a good job? Am I good enough? Am I, uh, you know, is my penis okay? All these mm. sorts of things. So I, I I came to understand that sexual healing is something that is, I think, universal. Mm, yeah, no doubt. But what, when you when you in that. In that explanation there, when you said you were seeing some people that he might have thought were a bit far out, what did you mean by that? Uh, were you were you, you like, got to read this. Yeah, tell, were you talking, tell, talking tell to witch him. doctors or like what, what's, what's going on? Mediums? <laughs> I, I, I'm all about this. Like, tell me, tell me. Well, I go to see 15, I work with 15 different kinds of practitioners and oh, I wow. try 30 different healing modalities. Wow. Well, amazing. Okay. It was And was this, was this... Was this in part, um, how much of that decision was driven by the creative process of putting this on the stage for like, well, for, for content, you know? Yeah. Well, initially I made a list of seven different practitioners and that was very driven by the fact that I was going to, um, to put this on the stage mm. because I, I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some risky things. So for instance, one of the things that I did was I, I drove five hours and I visited the house in Brooklyn where I was molested. Oh wow! I just decided what it was December. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get into that house. And I don't know what I'm going to do there. I don't know what it's going to do for me. But I knew that this was going to be a really good scene in a play. Mm. And I knew that it would do something for me and I was ready for it. And I, I wanted to vanquish my, my trauma in some bold way. But in the back of my mind, the, the motivation, the real push was, okay, listen, this is going to be a good scene. So that's why you've got to do it. Hmm. Turn Me On Podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The book outlines in great detail some of the other modalities uh, that you tried. I I loved, I loved, I've always been curious about these couples retreats and I loved hearing what that experience was like. Maybe you should tell Jeremy because he hasn't had a chance to read it yet. <laughs> yeah. So what I did some other far out things, I'll mention those too, since you haven't read it yet. Um, but the couples <laughs> retreat was, uh, was fabulous. It was a, a couple, Diane, they, they, they're doing these retreats now still virtually. It's Diana and Richard Daphner. They live in Florida and they have a company called Intimacy Retreats. And Diana, actually, I think she was really the driving force. Um, they teach this thing. They wrote a book called Tantra for Busy Couples. Mm -hmm. And they do a combination of, of Tantra and Tai Chi and teach these skills to partners, mostly people who have lost a sexual connection, long-term partners who've lost some, some sexual connection with each other, primarily. But anyway, we did some... <clears throat> fantastic things in the workshop that really opened my eyes. One of the exercises that we did that I, I just love and try to replicate sometimes is we took turns giving each other a sensory experience, but it was elaborate. They set out a, a big table, like card tables, but like two or three of them. And they were uh, filled the, or the, you know, the surface of these tables had pieces of fur, mm. all kinds of essential oils, bells, uh, chocolate sauce, cut up fruit. Uh, what else did we have there? All kinds of little pieces of fabric, mm. uh, other kinds of musical instruments. 
So the deal was your partner would be on a massage table lying down on a face up with a, a mask on um, their face. And then you would come by and you would have your partner experience something. So I might bring uh, a little bell, mm. but in this case, he, he didn't know what was going on. So all of a sudden there's a bell and then I might put some chocolate sauce on my finger and, and run it along his lips. Mm. And then I'd go back to the table and get something else. <laughs> and all I could think about when I, when I, when I was mm -hmm. doing this was, would I ever do that at home? Would yeah. I take <laughs> that much time? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. What, how, I'm not gonna, would I really take time to cut up a whole cantaloupe? <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> It's so much time. Pull out the seeds. Like, who's going to do that? But that's the point. That's the point that if you want to really make love to someone, why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. 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 I mean, mm. it, it, what, there's no reason why it can't be an experience. You know, like, I, I mean, especially when, when talking about trying to, trying to create the libido that you want to have trying to create the sexual experience that you, that actually speaks to you. Um, yeah. Why not? Why not create an experience out of that? Hey, it doesn't have to be that elaborate. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't need a massage table and, and five card tables filled with, with a sort an assortment of things, but, but it is, it is, you know, it is a uh, very plausible to just take a little bit of time, you know, Pluck right. a few rose petals off the <laughs> rose and grab Beautiful. some essential oils and who you know who knows who knows where you could it, it, the world's yeah, your oyster who really knows. You know? yeah and I think it's a generosity <sighs> factor what do you all think because I feel like we're not generous with ourselves and we're not necessarily generous with our partners we're just like okay <clears throat> I'll carve out time mm. but I'm gonna carve out this hour and. Mm -hmm. I'm well, not, yeah, I mean, I'm you, you, you said it. The extra distance. Yeah, you I, you said it in within the name of the the retreat. You know, like tantric sex for busy couples. Mm. We're all busy couples. You know, we're all too busy. For, we're all too busy for everything. And so it it does take a little bit of it does take a little bit of like effort. But who the fuck wouldn't want to put a little bit of effort into great pleasure? You know. Like it's, it's one of those things that I think is so easy to forget mm -hmm. that we are capable of. <clears throat> it's kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, how relatable, relatable this will be. Um, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, it's like that new relationship energy thing, right? Like when you first yeah. start seeing someone, you really do. Pull out all the, the stops. Yeah, you pull out all the tricks. <laughs> like you just you want, and it, and not only not only is it coming from a place of like I want this person to feel to to feel like I I want to impress this person. I want this person to feel good. But it's also coming from a point of like this is fun for me too. This mm -hmm. is like I'm I'm giving myself a lot of pleasure in providing this experience for this person, and so you know it's natural for anyone to sort of lose that, that sense of wonder, just like you lose your sense of, you know, childish play as you turn into an adult. But 
there's nothing to say that you can't cook that up again, you know, and, 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 and dig deep to find that within you. It still exists within us. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of recognizing that maybe it hasn't been there for a little bit and, and just taking really this, like, they don't have to be big. They can be very small baby steps in, in order to, uh, to kind of bring you back to that sort of place of, of wonder and excitement and, and mystery, you know? Yeah. And I love the way you're framing this and, and, and the terminology, new relation, uh, um, um, new relationship energy is, mm. is something usually associated with a, a poly lifestyle, polyamorous lifestyle. Mm. And it's, uh, but it's something that is, and, and some people choose a polyamorous lifestyle for this reason, because they, they deem that to be the way that they can right they can keep their sensuality alive and this is the this was what works best for them as mm. as a sexual sensual being um but for people who want who don't want a poly lifestyle i think that framing is absolutely perfect because we have to then create if we want a, a great sex life we actually have to create this new relationship energy mm. with our current partner and think about the things that we would do if we were with that partner. And I, I love that. I, I really hadn't made that connection before. I just got a memory of a, a boyfriend I had when I was uh, in my thirties. And I just remember I, he'd been, he was sleeping and I went out and I, I got him a coffee and I got a, a sandwich for lunch. And I just remember how excited I was to take all this effort. Mm. I just was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever wanted to do this before. <laughs> and I just like mm-hmm. spend hours and hours and like shell out 50 bucks <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to please this person. And yeah, exactly. I think that that's exactly what the well we can dip into to find what we need if we want to reinvigorate something. Mm-hmm. It's also really in line with I. I can I think it's Esther Perel who who talks about like the and I want to talk to you about foreplay, but she says something about uh, when does when does foreplay begin after the last orgasm. Mm. Um, and this idea of just like daily acts of, especially for people, cause it's like, I personally have been here and there's a lot of people I know who have been like in sexual stalemates with their partners where it's like, it just seems like a huge mountain. The longer time goes by, the harder it is to just like to have sex. And then, and then to get all elaborate about it, there's almost like a, yeah, I'll get elaborate about it. Once we start having sex regularly, like once we have a regular Mm -hmm. sex life, then we'll start making it special. But this idea that, you know, even if you haven't made physical contact with your partner in a sexual way in a really long time, it doesn't have to be sexual contact that brings you back to that place of Mm -hmm. intimacy. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you raise a great point too, that saying, oh, okay, well, <laughs> if I'm not in the mood for like to even be like, you know, a little bit stroked here, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut up all the pineapple. We need to take baby <laughs> steps just to yeah. like reconnect in this way. And that is a challenge, I think, for, for many, so many couples who have found for many reasons that they have kind of drifted apart in this way that it's just not become something regular. They're not meeting in this, in this intimate way regularly. Mm. Yeah. 
I think that in those cases, it really is about coming together in ways that have no pressure around it. Um, you know, like something like Sensate Focus. Did, have you talked about that on the show? I'm sure. We haven't talked about it on the show. It's a, it's just a word that I, a phrase I've only come across probably in the last few months, actually. Mm. It's kind of a go-to in the sex therapy world for couples who have, specifically for couples who've drifted apart in this physical way. And in Sensei Focus, there are several steps and the couples are progressively finding each other again in an intimate fashion. So step one, is couples take turns. The terminology is somebody's the giver and somebody is the receiver. And usually you set a timer, minimum of 10 minutes, maximum of 30 minutes. And during that time, the giver is going to touch the other person's body, but cannot touch the breasts or genitals. Hmm. So you touch the other person's body for, let's say, 10 minutes. And what drives the touching is not to give yourself pleasure or to give your partner pleasure, but it really is more like a mindfulness activity. You're just trying to follow your own interest. The best way I could describe it is you're not supposed to talk, but internally, like what might go on in my head if I were doing this might be oh, wow, look at that knee. Oh, I never noticed this, this bone on the knee. How cool is that? Mm. Wow, it's kind of pointy. So you're just exploring in this way and you're present, you're teaching yourself to be present, but there's not sexual pressure. Mm. And couples are, rec- and then you take turns, right? So the buzzer goes off and then the other person is now the giver and you are the receiver. And you're supposed to do that until you feel that you can progress to the next step. And the next step, I believe, there's different ways that they break it down, but I think the next step might include um, breasts and genitals, but fully clothed. Mm. It's it's like this kind of very progressive thing. Mm-hmm. and. It's a little, it was developed by Masters and Johnson originally in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so I find it a bit fellow centric in that the goal is that you work your way up to intercourse, which I don't think is the, the ultimate for, um, for every couple or every mm. person's body. But just the idea that you can take the pressure off the table, but still be intimate, I think is great, great, great mm. information and a great technique. And then this idea that you could progressively come forth. Now, when I speak to clients about this and I say, oh, did you know you could do this? So often somebody will go, you mean I could have sex and I don't have to, I don't have to like let somebody penetrate me. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized through that response that, this goes back to my earlier point that lots of times people don't want to have sex because they don't want somebody to like on top of them pumping away. That's what they're not, they don't want, but they might want something, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe without, uh, you know, without this kind of uh, pressure to perform that way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, I think it's it would be it's it's pretty safe to say that. I think I think we were just having a conversation the day before yesterday with someone who works at the Kinsey Institute, and a big part of what we were talking about was like the lack of sexual education that exists in in North America, especially. Um, in particular, we were talking about the United States and Canada, but uh, uh, I mean, you know, there there really does need to be a more evolved conversations surrounding sexuality and what sex const- what constitutes its sex um with with i mean not just youth but everyone you know like everybody for yeah, anyone yeah, who, like, who thinks that <laughs> yeah yeah like all of us you know like anyone who who just who just thinks that sex is um sex is penetrative you know and I, and i know that i know that there are a lot of you know when i think of people who are older gen- old, in older generations than myself, I know that, that that's a very common thought. You know, it's, I don't know. I, maybe yeah. that's a different, a, a different podcast for another time, but it, but it is, I feel like like the lack of sexual education is most certainly plays a bit of a role there. In, in that yeah, issue. But you're making me now wonder about Canada. Cause I don't know anything about sex, about sex ed in Canada. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not, it, I know that uh, it's a little bit better than the U S but it's not that great. It's not, you know, I mean, I'm a 33 year old man from the East, you know, the Atlantic coast of Canada. And my sex education was, my sex education was porn for the most part, you know, like, mm-hmm. Aside from, aside from like, here's how copulation works. Right. You know, there were, there wasn't really, there wasn't much of a sexual it's functional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the, it. That's it. Yeah. Like penis yeah. and vagina makes baby. There you go. You're off. You, you and know, but don't you have babies. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, oh yeah. Just yeah. Don't have any babies. <laughs> don't stick that thing anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And the earlier, I remember uh, one of the biggest takeaways I remember from early sex education was if you have sex too early, you'll probably get cervical cancer. That was like the big takeaway whoa, for me. Whoa, yeah. On, that on PEI. Eh? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. I'm from a very small Island, Jesus. but I think like, you know, part of our behind the scenes mission, our secret mission with this podcast was like, I need a sex education. Like I need to go very much the way that you went out there, Lauren, you were like, I gotta, I gotta learn everything I can learn. And you, and you you crammed it, you cram. And I'm assuming you're still learning because now you're coaching and Mm. that, that must be a mind blowing what you're learning as a, as a teacher and a coach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to piggyback on that, Brady, do do you do you feel like um, you are sexually liberated, Laura? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it and but my liberation is uh, it's it's like old school in a way. Hmm. Uh, like liberation is a synonym for freedom, but in mm. the old school way, like a seventies feminist way, it's uh, synonymous with power as well. Mm. And so I feel that my journey, if I had to sum it up, I'd say that it was about empowering myself, mm. empowering myself to, to have <clears throat> agency when it comes to creating pleasure for myself and creating pleasure for my partner in a way that that works for me and him. 
Can you talk a little bit about, because you, like Esther Perel, you are a child of a Holocaust survivor. And I'm wondering, uh, just off the top of my head all of a sudden, about, we, we hear, we're hearing the phrase intergenerational trauma a lot. And that when you, and, and the concept of like healing yourself also is healing in the pa- backwards and forwards. And I don't want to give away any spoilers for the book, but I love that that near the end you sort of laid out some more information about your mother and her sexual life. And I'm just wondering, like, what's your relationship to that part of your feminine history now? And how do you is like, is the processing of that ever, ever done or is there continued that's a continued healing as you move forward with i i just i i have trouble sort of the scope of the holocaust and what your mom experienced there and then who she became and who she lived as a sexual being as is just so mind-boggling to me that as as her daughter how how have you sort of navigated that yeah that history uh well i think going back to why i i did this journey i think the another real impetus has to do with just i guess what i see as my purpose in life which is very connected to my mother's holocaust experience so my mother was born in 1927, and so she was 12 years old when Hitler, in in Poland, and she was 12 when Hitler invaded Poland. I won't go into all the details, of course, but suffice it to say, three of her siblings and her parents were murdered, along with many, many relatives. And my mother herself was in two Nazi ghettos, two concentration camps, including Auschwitz, and was on a, a rather infamous death march that started in Poland and ended hundreds of miles away in Germany. And my mother was liberated on the last day of the war, May 8th, 1945. Oh. I grew up feeling a, an intense responsibility to live the life, kind of squeeze, I said before, like kind of squeeze the most out of life. A lot of it is because these relatives were deprived of their lives. And I felt that it was my responsibility to live for them in a way, to like get all that, that, uh, that living into my own life as a way to honor them. And so in wanting to know love, <laughs> know what it is, have that that ultimate experience of love. It really was about, well, you know, by golly, you know, this is who I am. This is what my mission is in life. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna really go for it. And in terms of my mother and her relationship with her own sexuality, you know, at these days I think I just see it as um as her I don't know. She had to work things through in her own way. And in the book, I talk a lot about how my mother deprives herself as of pleasure. She's got kind of suspicious relationships with very transactional relationships with men, 
um, which has to do with her survivor, her her being a survivor in the, mm-hmm. I guess, like a big S kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, survival was like, she just knew how to do that. She survived these camps, et cetera. And so, you know, she had to be transactional. She had to be transactional. Um, yeah, I, I, but I think I, I, I even at a, a younger age, I kind of sensed, you know, that my mother had a, a strange relationship with sex, but I, I think I, I just thought, okay, well, this is, um, yeah, I, I think I, I just, you know, I grew up with that survival mentality, you know, mm. that you do anything you, you can to survive. And so I just sort of like, okay, well, you know, that's what you do. You survive. Mm. I love that, that dedication to your, to those who in your family who didn't get a chance to experience those things. It's, that is a very inspiring mission. I imagine you must speak with a number of, of, of clients who have intergenerational trauma of one kind or another that are a huge part of their story um, and their own healing. So I'm going to take a little snippet of that and chew on that for a little bit for sure. Um, I'm very inspired. I'm very inspired by, by your book and, uh, and I hope our readers will, or our listeners will go out and grab it. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation and I so appreciate what you all are doing. And I just started my own podcast and I'd love to have you all on my yeah, podcast. Fantastic. Totally. Well, in, in, in light of that, uh, why don't you let our listeners know where they can, where they can find your podcast, where they can find you, where they can find the book. Excellent. Well, the best way is just come to my website. Everything's there. Easy peasy, laurazam.com. And my social media icons are there. And I love to connect with people on social media. So if people want to DM me and all that sort of thing. That's, that's great. I love, I love to talk with people and find out what's going on with them. Mm. Uh, and my podcast is list, listed there. It's called Sexual Healing Central. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Well, Laura, this has been uh, really, really awesome. It was so nice to get to know you a little bit, and and so nice to hear all about this wonderful book. I like. I'm just going to say this: <laughs> it is to hear Bridey gush about a book like this is uh, for myself kind of rare because uh, Bridey does a lot of reading, and so uh, I'm 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 just so I'm, I now am excited to <laughs> dig my teeth into this. This is going to be really fun. So mm. thanks for thanks for joining us today. This is really nice. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. And uh, I'd really love to have you on as guests as well. That would be so great. And this was such a great conversation for me. I really loved connecting with you guys. Talk uh, with you soon. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, that was our conversation with Laura Zam. How delightful of a woman, hey? Yeah, I really hope that uh, when she launches her podcast that she'll she'll have us on because oh, I, sure just, I could chat with her all day. Yeah. I was totally like a little bit weirdly starstruck in the I, conversation yeah, with yeah, her. Yeah, I know you were, yeah, which is odd because you typically aren't. Well, I don't know. I feel like I've been getting more nervous lately. You weren't like that. People. You weren't even like that with Joanna Angel. 
No, but that was that's your celebrity crush. That's my yeah. I don't know. There's just something so. There's something about being a 37 year old woman looking at someone who's like got a couple more decades ahead of Ooh. me, who's also involved in a lot, a lot of the same conversations, right. whether yeah. it be theater, whether it you know be sex and. And it just gives me something to aspire to. And anyway, mm. I was really, really, really into that conversation. Uh, go check out her book. Uh, I mean, you know, it's rare that Bridie is, you're, you're well read and it's rare to see you talk up a book so much the way you have. So obviously it's mm. good. I enjoyed it. Um, can we, just before we end, can we uh, remind everybody about human human connection? Yes. <sighs> oh my goodness. This Sunday. So you're listening to this. It's Wednesday, this Sunday, March 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I'll be hosting along with um, Jeremy and and guest Leah a two-hour, don't worry, there will be breaks, live streamed um, session on human connection through touch. So what does that mean? It's about uh, getting um, grounded, getting breathing and working with your partner or your parent or your kid or your friend, your neighbor, anybody who you can have in your bubble, um, working to help them and also receive uh, uh, grounding and, and healing touch from them. So there'll be really simple techniques, nothing elaborate. There's no like arm balances or anything wild like that. Um, all you really need is yourself, some comfortable clothes that you can move around in. We're going to be, we're going to be standing, we're going to be sitting, we're going to be laying. Um, and if any of those movements are challenging for you, let me know because, um, there's definitely Mm -hmm. other variations that we can do. And I, I want to, be um, as accommodating uh, to the bodies that are present as possible. Um, I've been cooking this up for the last month or so, and yeah. it's based in a lot. It is based in some yoga stuff. It's based in some theater stuff, um, and it's but it's all designed to again just like calm your nervous mm-hmm. system, relax your body, and sending you home with with like just the confidence to be able to help someone if <coughs> at the end of a long day just to. Yeah to extend some <clears throat> some care in the form of human touch, which we are all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, are lacking. And we're used to getting a little more, even if it's just brushing up against someone on the mm-hmm. bus or whatever. Those, 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 um, the, those trigger chemical reactions in the body that we are, we're not getting these days. So, yeah. So if you want to take part, uh, you can go to the show notes of this episode and click the link there, or you can go to our Instagram and uh, click the link in our bio, or you can go to my personal Instagram and the link is in my bio as well. And mine. And um, it's taking place on Crowdcast, which is a platform that we've used for live shows in the past. So uh, there is an interactive element, um, but it's not like Zoom. It's not like we're, you know everyone's going to see you. No. You're no. just by yourself. And if you want to chat, then you can tap into the chat. We're really excited for it. It's going to be really fun. And we're going to be shooting it right here in the Sick Boy HQ. So it'll be nice to see, well, not really see everyone, but to see. Have you. unquote, see everyone. To be together in space. All right, folks, that is it for this week. It sure is. What do you think about Jill's suggestion? Did you see that? I did see that. I like it. Yeah. Who's Jill again? 
Jill, uh, she is the Self Love is Blind podcast host. Oh, right, host. right. Oh, we, yeah, right. They send us a message. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. All right. That's it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. Ah, I like <laughs> it. <laughs>